Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Since many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning and ministers of the word have handed them down to us, I too have decided, after investigating everything accurately anew, to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news of him spread throughout the whole region. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had grown up, and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. This is one of my favorite scripture passages. I have a lot of favorite ones. I imagine you do too. You've probably heard me say this more than once. But really, I love this passage and there's so much I want to say. But just as an opening thought, I'd like to propose that we ask ourselves the question, as we look at this scene shortly where Jesus enters into the synagogue on the Sabbath as he was in the habit of doing, what would it be like if Jesus came to our service on Sunday, to our parish church. What would he do? And what would he do if he were invited to say a few words to us? What would he say? With that in mind, then, I'd like to 
fast forward then to this chapter that begins Jesus' public ministry. We see him starting in his hometown of Nazareth. We're told Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been reared and entering the synagogue on the Sabbath, as he was in the habit of doing, he stood up to do the reading. Just recently, they have done some archaeological excavations in Nazareth, and they have learned so much so recently. Part of their finding, now part of this is conjecture, but it's educated guessing, that Nazareth would have been a very tiny village where they suggest maybe two or three clans would have lived together. By clans, we mean extended families, as would have been the case back then. You know, when you got married, you just built on next door or just added on. The families lived much like we would imagine uh, African villages being just an extended and growing family. Altogether, they guess at most there were 300 people who lived in Nazareth. It's a very small town. All that I'm saying is setting the scene here. He lived in a small town with all that that would go along with it. Jesus, he was a bachelor. They wondered why. Why Why is he staying single in his very family-oriented marriage-related society? And what was he about being a carpenter? Probably he was a skilled craftsman working at a nearby town called Sepphoris with his father Joseph, where they were rebuilding that town. What we see here is Jesus would have been certainly very much in the spotlight of his townspeople, his family and his friends, and we see him doing something that he would have often done. He came to the synagogue for the Sabbath as he was in the habit of doing, which any devout Jew would have done on the Sabbath, which you know is Saturday, starting actually sunset Friday to sunset Saturday, and he then was invited to stand up to do a reading. But let me say a few words about first synagogue and then the readings. Don't confuse synagogue with temple. Think of temple as you might this cathedral. There was only one temple in all of Israel. It was the central place of worship in the capital city of Jerusalem. It was the place where ritual sacrifice happened every single day. Animals were sacrificed. A lamb was sacrificed. And it was a place that contained the Holy of Holies, which was, you know, the Torah, which was what they believed to be the very presence of God, where God lived. I compare that to our tabernacle, where the real presence of the Lord is kept, and only the high priest could enter there once a year. But Because there was only one temple, and that temple was in Jerusalem, naturally most Jews in the outer districts of Israel could not come to Jerusalem. And so every local town would have their local synagogue. Think of our own parishes as perhaps analogous to that. The word synagogue literally means a gathering place. So on the Sabbath, the Jews of that town would gather there to first hear a reading from the scriptures and have a commentary then given on that scripture, and then they would join in prayer. Now, it's very analogous, by the way, to our liturgy of the word, and the sacrifice being perhaps analogous to a liturgy of the Eucharist. 
But the readings themselves, interestingly, were much like our lectionary, uh, would have been read on a cyclic basis, so they would have covered a number of the books of their Hebrew scripture. First, they would have had a reading from the Torah by the rabbi, and then a reading from the what is called Haf Torah, or the prophets, by one of the lectors, much like our own services. This lector could be anyone chosen or selected who was first able to read and also interpret that reading. In this case, we know that Jesus was such a designated teacher, as often he was when he would travel to other towns as in their synagogues. The reading would have been done, as you could guess, in Hebrew. But interestingly, most of the people in Jesus' time did not know Hebrew. They were not schooled in those ancient languages. Most of the people back then spoke Aramaic. And so after the reading was delivered in Hebrew, they would often give a synopsis or translation of the reading in Aramaic for the people. And then came the teaching given by the rabbi or on occasion a special guest. Jesus was obviously such a guest, almost considered a rabbi in his own right as an educated teacher. He then took, we're told in this reading, the book of the prophet Isaiah that was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written. He would have very carefully selected this passage. That's the point I want to make. It isn't like Jesus was rummaging through the Bible sometimes like I do when I have to give a talk. Oh gosh, what do I talk on? And he knew well what he was looking for. Because this particular passage was expressed for Jesus, something that was very near and dear to his heart. As we will soon see, he completely identified with this passage that referred to originally the prophet Isaiah, but he had so assimilated that passage and integrated it into his life, it became what I would propose was Jesus' statement of his mission, or can I say a mission statement. Scholars even say that this was, in fact, Jesus' inaugural address as he was beginning his ministry, and he was setting forth this program, this plan that he wanted to focus on throughout his entire ministry. It was, another way of saying it, his keynote address that would set the tone for his public life and ministry. And so it's clearly one of Jesus' favorite passages that he very specially selected to share with his special group of family and friends to say, this is what I feel the Lord is calling me to. You understand, he would have meditated and reflected on this over and over again so that he could share with them, this is what I feel God is sending me to do. And with that, then you can see the rich meaning behind these words he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, therefore he has anointed me. Again, originally this was a prophet Isaiah speaking, but now it's Jesus speaking in his stead. Jesus is identifying as the anointed one, the anointed prophet. You would know the word for anointing in Hebrew is Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. Thus, the very word that we call Jesus is, he is the one who is anointed one of God. What does it mean to be anointed? In fact, 
as the word suggests, it's where literally oil is poured on the head of the person designating them and consecrating them as a representative of God. So Jesus is that person par excellence. And now they would anoint prophets, they would anoint kings, they would anoint priests, and they would anoint anyone who is standing in for God. So truly, Jesus, as Son of God, is the anointed one, and that's why we call him the Christ. But just an interesting footnote here, it's why we call ourselves Christian, because we too share in that anointing. To be anointed means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is what I see in this snapshot of Jesus' life from the very beginning, this opening day, if you will, of his public ministry. I see this bright light of the Spirit shine upon him. And it must have amazed his own family and friends to feel such power of God just rush and speak through him. This is what is happening here. It's, it's powerful. It's it's setting the whole stage for what is to happen because the Spirit of God is upon him to do what? Because it's not just for Jesus' own good. It's for our good. We're told, and Jesus is quoting here, the Isaiah, he has sent me to bring good news to the poor. This is his job description, as I understand it. This is his main role and responsibility that he is called to bring good news. Now, that word, bring good news, in Greek, is the same word we have today for evangelize. The word evangelize was first used by ancient Greeks when they wanted to communicate good news to the people in the kingdom. Example, before communication was very sophisticated, if you wanted the word sent out to anyone and everyone, the king would have what he called a herald or messenger. He would write this word or have him commit it to memory, and then he said, go take it to every town and village. And then that herald would stand in city square and get everybody's attention, call everybody together, and then deliver the king's message. And then sometimes the message was that the king has declared the war is over. And peace now reigns. When the messenger came to declare peace, his word immediately brought about that very reality. Peace happened immediately upon the proclamation. You see the power of the word. And also, if the king was wanting to visit a certain town, again, he would send his herald, and the herald would say, the king is coming, and make the preparations. So anyway, you get the whole idea. This was what it meant to evangelize. The nice thing about Jesus' teaching is we call it good news, but I would point out it doesn't feel that way at first. In fact, the good news of God is a little disturbing to our complacency and, and, and any kind of lethargy that we've fallen into. But ultimately, it's good news, though it doesn't feel that way at first. And that, but this is where we get the word gospel. It very word angel is suggested in that evangel, okay? Angel is a messenger of good news. And that's what we are called to be. We are called to be evangelists. We are called to be angels or messengers of good news. To bring people a word of peace, a word of encouragement, a word of love, a source of strength and inspiration. We're told then Jesus, continuing his quote from Isaiah, says, 
I come to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and release to prisoners. This captures so much of what Jesus' mission was about. Yet, in a literal sense, we have to be honest and say, Jesus rarely proclaimed liberty for those who were physically in prison, and he healed only a couple people that we know of from the gospel of blindness. But obviously, Jesus is interpreting this on a much deeper, more spiritual level, that his entire ministry was trying to set people free from the prison of their small world, from the cell of their sin. He was trying constantly to unlock people from an old way of thinking, a narrow-mindedness, a closed-heartedness. Constantly he was trying to release people from any bondage, especially shame or guilt or those things, those judgments that hold each other in a certain kind of captivity that you know what I'm talking about. In all through his life, in all of his teaching, Jesus was giving sight to those who were spiritually blind, that they could see God and see God's goodness and see themselves and see their goodness and see each other and see each other's goodness. Yes, this captures certainly not only the mission and message of Jesus, but the very spirit of his whole ministry. The last line of that quote that Jesus reads is, he has called me to announce a year of favor from the Lord. But Jesus is referring to here, a year of favor referred to the year of Jubilee, which is what we celebrate at the millennium. The Jubilee, you might know, was celebrated every 50 years. Literally, Jubilee is a Hebrew word that means trumpet blast. In a sense, it was God's trumpet blast to wake people up to this good news that he wanted to announce. And so the Jewish people celebrated the year of Jubilee every 50 years, and this is how they celebrated it. Ideally, announcement was made, and the people were told again and again that God is in charge of everything in their lives. Jesus is Lord, as we would say today. And so all debts would be canceled. All slaves should be set free. All property returned to the original owner. The idea is that let's have a redistribution of the wealth because after a time, too few people are holding most of the wealth. The whole idea of what Jesus is in calling forth a year of Jubilee, that year in his life, because it's not the 15th year, you understand. It's not time for the Jubilee. Jesus says, yes, it is. Because the time of Jubilee is now and always. God wants us to address these issues of justice continually, not just periodically. The poor should be part of our priority daily in our lives. We cannot just set these things aside and occasionally treat them or talk about them. They have to be part of the very constituency of our, of our community, what we are essentially about. And so it's remarkable what Jesus is calling for here. And then in, in, in taking this on, his own self and his own message, the next thing we're told is he's rolling up the scroll and he gave it back to the assistant and then he sat down. In fact, I read where uh, rabbis or teachers in the synagogue would have a special seating, like we would have the presider's chair 
And sometimes they would give that teaching from the platform, from the chair. Thus, we talk about the chair of theology or the chair person. You know, that chair becomes very important. Now, everyone in their synagogue had their eyes fixed on him. There's a hint here of great expectation. What's the local kid going to say? And you just see it with bated breath or waiting his first homily or sermon. And what does he say? All we have is this one single line. We know he would have talked longer. We know that gone on for some time to explain the text, but this line seems to summarize succinctly and eloquently what his message would have shared. Today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. That would have been something because ordinarily you understand rabbis and teachers in Jesus' time, as even preachers and priests today, tend to talk about the Bible way back then and forget about being here and now. And you don't get the sense of a living Bible, a word for today. And this is what Jesus is saying is everything you have read, everything that the prophets have written and spoken, that is happening right here before your very eyes. I had a sense of this this past week. I was watching a documentary about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King as we celebrated his holiday just this couple days ago. And he was preaching his powerful word. People had asked him so often, aren't you going a little quick and you're moving this whole integration a little too fast and you should slow down a little bit. And Martin Luther King began his sermon by saying, people ask me, how long? And he says, not long. When is the time? Now is the time. Now is the time God is acting. Now is the time. You know how he could build up that crescendo of now is the time. Again and again, he was saying, so everyone in the whole church is singing in that refrain. I say singing because they're shouting back, yes, preacher, now is the time. And now is the time God wanted to change things in their life. Wow. And I was well, even just sitting there in my lazy boy chair. I sat up and I say, yes, now is the time. I just sensed that powerful dynamic and dynamism coming out of Jesus. Now is the time that God is going to work in our life to bring about all this good news, all these good things. God wants to set anybody here who feels that they're held captive in any way at all. God wants to set you free right now. If anybody feels you have a debt you owe to God or to anyone, God wants to pay that debt off for you. Now is the time. If you feel that you don't see your way through this problem or see what's important to your life or see what you need to do, God wants to give you that vision. Today is the day you receive this insight. Now is the time. And people are like, wow. And what Jesus is saying, it's not just history, it's our story. This is happening now. This is what God wants to do. Once you sense that, it's like, wow, there is power in that. And that's the power that came out of Jesus 
what he was saying was he was reading the scripture, his people were experiencing it, even as he was speaking it. Does that make sense? It was happening. And here's what I have learned. It is my faith that whenever we read the gospel, we can say at the end of the reading, today, this scripture passage is fulfilled in our hearing. If we understand what it means and how to apply it to our life, to make the word of the Lord the work of the Lord. You see, every scripture passage is to be fulfilled in our hearing and reflecting and sharing. Even as I speak here, everything we talk about here, it's the ways hopefully God is working and wanting to work in our lives. So imagine again with me, what would Jesus say if he were here today? Would he not want to say to us that all these things we've been studying in the scripture, he wants to show us and help us to experience in the greatest way And if there's any way in which we're hurting or needing his help, he wants to offer that today, today, the scripture passage is fulfilled in our hearing. In my own reflection and meditation on this passage, I've come to see that in a way of explaining it, that I believe Jesus was presenting his personal mission statement to his personal family and friends. He was saying, this is my mission statement. And he quoted the scripture that became one of his favorite passages. And just think for a moment of the genius of Jesus. For him to be so focused, knowing that his ministry was so important, he wanted to be sure he went about the most important things and put all the periphery aside. I've tried to do that recently and even more and more recently in my life, as my life gets busier and busier, I imagine you can relate to this too. It seems like today, more and more is asked of us and expected of us. Would that be true with you? The irony is we have all these time-saving devices, and it seems like we have less and less time. There's more and more pressures, more and more expectations. Because of all that, I think it's more and more important we focus on what our main mission in life is. I'd love for you to try to take the time to pray or reflect on any scripture that speaks to you. And if you were to pray with God, is there any special work that God is calling you to do or person to be? What do you think if you were to imagine sitting with Jesus, what would he ask of you? as your main mission in life. Keep it simple and make it real practical so that once you come with the mission, it's not enough to let it stay there. you got to have a flight plan. My flight plan is, okay, every Monday night, every Tuesday night, I have to use this preparation for this teaching. And plus, a lot of people ask for that time. Then I have to tell them, I'm sorry, it's already booked. Because my mission... So what is yours and what's the flight plan to keep you on the course? And then what's the compass that keeps steering you? I think this gospel has the potential to change our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's gospel teaching. 
We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.